I'm Craig Williams, and this is Beyond the Tassel. Today is January 19th, 2021, and at this very moment, nearly 2 million high school juniors are beginning to ramp up to take the ACT and or the SAT later this spring. By the time Halloween rolls around, more than 50% of the class of 2022 will have taken one or both of these standardized tests. Now, even though many top colleges and universities were already going test optional before COVID further accelerated an institutional relaxation of the testing requirement in 2020, having your best score tucked in your pocket can still be an excellent part of your college application strategy. So let's dive in and discuss the implications of testing, examine a few strategies for making the most of it, and between the two tests, consider which might be your best fit. A little background on standardized testing. The SAT was first administered to high school students nearly 100 years ago, in 1926, while the ACT was introduced as a competitor to the SAT 33 years later in 1959. Now, both tests were designed to determine a student's readiness for the academic rigors of college-level work. Originally, the SAT was used at Princeton, and then Harvard, and other Ivy League schools. By 1957, more than half a million high school students had taken the SAT, and in 1960, the entire University of California system had signed on, becoming the test's single largest client. Meanwhile, the ACT was just launching, originally testing 75,000 high school students in its first year. Everett Lindquist, who is a professor of education at the University of Iowa, noticed that the SAT purported to evaluate theoretical reasoning skills as opposed to practical knowledge. He set out to develop an exam that would emphasize the latter, practical knowledge, which he saw as more useful for university studies. The ACT was the result of a team effort led by Lindquist and University of Iowa registrar at the time, Ted McCarroll, who felt that testing for academic achievement rather than innate intelligence was more predictive of college success. Now, over the years, both tests have undergone significant revision and refinement in an effort to improve predictive performance of incoming college freshmen. The last major revision of the SAT, which was done in March of 2016, moved its 171 questions down to 154. Its length, from 3 hours and 45 minutes, to 3 hours flat, unless you opt to include the essay, in which case you're given an extra 50 minutes. And from a top score of 2,400 to a top score of 1,600. This is the modern SAT. Now, the College Board, the folks who own and administer the SAT exam, just announced today their intention to scrap the optional essay question and the subject tests. Although, they're saying that more information will be forthcoming this April, so definitely stay tuned on that. Now, the ACT, on the other hand, has changed less in recent years. Apart from the addition of a few special subscores to help better understand students' strengths and a shift in the way the writing prompt is used, both introduced in 2015, few structural changes have been made to the ACT. In 2020, ACT announced that a taker of the full test will be able to retest in sections rather than having to retake the entire test. Uh, practically, what this means for students is that a test taker who scored well on one or two sections but felt they could do better 
on other sections could retain the good scores for the sections that they felt they did well in and retake only those sections on which they did poorly or on which they felt they didn't do as well as they might have. That's a better way to say that. Now, ultimately, taking either the ACT or the SAT will give you some sense as to how you might compare with other students in the category of academic readiness. And if you choose to submit your scores to the colleges or universities to which you'll apply, they can help those schools get a fuller picture of how well you and your institution of choice may fit. But look, here's the thing. Your ACT or SAT score does not define you. It's a number that attempts to bring some clarity to your academic readiness, but leaves so much to be determined by well-trained, well-seasoned admissions officers. They're going to consider your GPA, the rigor of the high school you attended, your essay, letters of reference from teachers and others, possibly an alumni interview if you had one, and much more. They're looking at your entire story. The score alone actually means much less than what most students and their families believe it means. So before we dive into the detail as to which test may be the better fit for you, let's just get this off the table. You are not your score. This is so critical to understand. You are not your score. Do not be defined by this score. I know that there is a great deal of competition between peers even. I've seen it result in broken friendships between kids who've known each other for years when they start talking about what score they got and what school they might be admitted to because of it. We are now decades beyond the original development of these tests. And while Lindquist may have seen an opportunity to exploit in the early SAT with his ACT's practical knowledge approach, you may rest assured that both tests will predict your college readiness. That said, there are differences that may favor your style of learning. While both tests are approximately the same length in terms of hours and minutes, the SAT asks 154 questions, while the ACT, 215. But most students who've taken both don't typically put a great deal of weight into that variance. What is notably different is in the timed sections. On the ACT, you'll face three timed test segments, a reading section that allows 65 minutes, a language and writing section that allows 35 minutes, and a math section that allows 80 minutes. Now, I've spoken to a lot of students who tell me this 80-minute segment is a heavy lift, but I've also noticed that students who identify as what I call STEMI kids, science, tech, engineering, and math, seem to do equally well on the SAT as they do on the ACT. However, I've noticed that kids who identify more as Hume kids, more of an interest in the humanities that is, tend to perform a bit better on the ACT than they do on the SAT. I don't have empirical evidence to support this claim, but anecdotally from the kids I've spoken with, it just seems to hold true. Now let's talk again about test segments, but turn our attention now to the ACT, which has four timed segments instead of three. A 35-minute reading test, a 45-minute English test, 60-minute math section, and a 35-minute science test. Now, some have argued that the smaller segments make for a bit of an easier effort overall. Mind you, both tests come in at around three hours, with the SAT running three hours and the ACT running two hours and 55 minutes. So they are, for all intents and purposes, the same. But there may be something 
a bit more psychologically digestible about the four segments of the ACT versus the three segments of the SAT. Now, frankly, I think it's more about which test for which you have practiced the most and how well you've nailed down the timing of each section. I encourage students to become really familiar while practice test-taking with how long each of these segments lasts. I mean, to the point where they can actually guess within 30 seconds or so without using a timer. Because among the best things you can do to enhance your score is to be able to navigate within each section confidently, knowing how much time to spend on a question before moving on to another. And knowing how much time you've got in reserve to go back in and complete or reconsider your answers. So what I'm saying is this, timing is important, critically so. The other thing about the SAT that differs from the ACT is that some questions in the math section do not permit you to use your calculator, whereas the ACT permits calculator usage throughout its math section. The ACT math section is geometry heavy, much more so than the SAT. You'll have 60 seconds per question on the ACT math section, whereas you'll have 75 or 87 seconds per question on the SAT math section, depending upon whether we're talking about the section that permits calculator use or the section that does not permit calculator use. The ACT covers a slightly broader range of math questions than does the SAT. However, the SAT does drill more deeply into data analysis and word problems than does the ACT. Again, while I've noticed STEMI kids doing slightly better on the SAT than their Hume counterparts, I don't have a hard, fast statistical truth on this. Some students have said that the SAT is nice because its pace per question is a bit more relaxed, but that because of the non-calculator math section, test takers should be comfortable not having a calculator for every question. Now, admittedly, some of these non-calculator questions are theoretical in nature. They are not math problem solving. So be aware of that. The other sections work out to being roughly similar between the ACT and the SAT in terms of uh, questions asked and basically how the tests and those sections are structured. Now, there are some stylistic differences, but I would put that in the category of, of relatively minor, almost to the point of being irrelevant. But nowhere is this more pronounced in the math sections in terms of the stylistic difference between the two tests. Now, both tests cost about the same and have similar testing dates and availability. But what I will say about the SAT is that Khan Academy, the wonderful online learning resource, has an outstanding SAT test prep option, which enables students to index their PSAT scores to better enable Khan to tailor your prep. Best of all, it's 100% free for all students. Now, while Khan does not offer a similar option for the ACT test, there are a lot of resources on Khan Academy for students who want to improve their scores on the ACT simply by becoming more familiar with, uh, with the core knowledge. And there are many other outstanding test prep resources available through the Journey 12 website at journey12.com. Our offers are always competitively priced and may be offset with gap funds from your guidance department. Just ask your college guidance department if they've got a partnership with Journey 12's Beyond the Tassel. If not, encourage them to get in touch with us so they can qualify for gap funds as well. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, I'll talk at length about writing an outstanding college application essay. 
Many of the students I've worked with tell me this was a real sleeper strength to their college application. And I've heard from admissions officers that this is responsible for as much as 25 to 30% of the overall application score. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm Craig Williams for Beyond the Tassel. Stay safe, stay healthy, and make yours an amazing journey.